and a half fields of the Pirate City Complex in Bradenton, Florida were left empty yesterday. Maybe that's how it's going to stay for quite some time. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. For the first time in a while, those who still somehow passionately follow Major League Baseball were left without the usual breathless hour-by-hour updates of owners and players crossing parking lots and going back and forth and exchanging offers and rejecting offers and exchanging offers and rejecting offers. And all that was left after the players rejected what the owners had described as their, quote, best and final, end quote, offer on Tuesday was just nothing. Nothing. There's been some speculation that they could resume some form of conversation as early as today, but nothing formal's been set. And really, if you look at some of the rhetoric followed the Tuesday breakoff, not exactly feeling the momentum to say, hey, you know what? Let's just sit down and start all over again. Are you good with that? Oh yeah, me too. Let's let's just let's just get it done now. And it's just not gonna happen. However, think about this for a second, because this is an unusual circumstance. All Rob Manfred did the other day was cancel the first two series of the season. Or, in baseball terminology, one week. If another week goes by, meaning now, without a deal, shouldn't that mean another two series? And shouldn't that, in turn, kind of be recreating a new deadline week after week after week until something gets done? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And here's why. As some players felt emboldened enough to discuss openly on social media yesterday, the owners really don't care much if they lose April. And some of that's just common sense. It's your worst attendance month of the year. It's your worst weather month of the year. It's the games in general that you're the happiest to give up. Other than one, of course, that being opening day. But guess what? Whenever you open the season, that's going to be opening day. It's not like you cancel opening day and then you don't have another one once you do eventually get started. So the only day that they'd care about from a financial or any other standpoint will still be there. But here's where it gets more interesting. Baseball, as with all sports, is driven by television revenue. Not exactly some industry secret there. Most teams' contracts with their regional sports networks have stipulations that as long as X number of games get played in a given season, you will receive your full allotment of money from that RSN, from the cable company. 
And the general belief is that figure, although it's going to be different from team to team, from contract to contract, is right around the range of 135, 140. So a month, you could lose a month and the owners would actually benefit? This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. I realize a lot of what I just said seems so laughably transparent that it'd be super easy for Scott Boris and the Players Association to call the owner's bluff. But then, as I've additionally been maintaining throughout this lockout, the owners have bungled every single step of this, not just in getting obliterated within the media and then in turn by the fans, but they also haven't even established, I don't believe internally, a clear objective as to what it is that they hope to achieve from all this. I spoke right after the break-off here on this show about how the Players Union walked away from a deal really because of its impact on one team. That, of course, being the Dodgers, the one team that pushes through the luxury tax threshold. I can throw that same criticism right back in the owners' faces. Because the fact is, if the owners lowered the luxury tax threshold from their quote, best and final, end quote, offer that they'd made, they really probably wouldn't suffer any kind of repercussions from it. The Dodgers already exceed the players' proposed figure for that ceiling, never mind the owner's one. So you'd have one team breaking through that ceiling in either scenario, and you'd still have zero other teams anywhere close to it. Now, could that change over the course of a five-year agreement? Yeah, absolutely. Anything can happen. But it seems unlikely to grow into something that would really, really alter the landscape. So I'll ask now, again, for maybe the millionth time, what the hell were the owners doing here? As I've been saying for months, if there was something there that they were really trying to achieve, such as a salary cap type system that would help promote competitive balance in places like Pittsburgh, then yeah, man, throw yourself down in front of the moving train and get it done. But that isn't there. That isn't there at all. So what have they done? What are they trying to do? I have no idea. I'm going to make you one promise, though. Tomorrow's episode of Daily Shot of Pirates 
is going to be just about baseball. I don't care how far I've got to bury my head in the sand to just think about actual baseball, but I'm going to give it my best shot. When we come back, just one question. Today's comes from Ben, who asks, DK, do the rank-and-file members get to vote on the various proposals, or is it solely on the MLBPA Executive Committee? I understand they have an obligation to go at least take the temperature of their constituents, but I wasn't sure exactly how much say they have. The answer to that, Ben, is no. Uh, and that's not uncommon. That's not something that baseball uh, has to itself. You appoint... An executive council, in theory, that'll be representative of your entire rank and file. And you maintain open lines of communication, emails, calls, that sort of thing. But when it comes down to accepting or rejecting an offer as the union faced on Tuesday afternoon, that's up to the eight people that are in there. That, of course, being the eight-member executive council, of which Scott Boris placed five of his clients, and of which the most outspoken by every accounting of how these talks have gone has been Max Scherzer, he of the $40 million annual salary. I'm going to presume that's what you're getting at by asking the question. If you think about it, it'd be awfully weird, and I can see this part of it, to take like a younger player who isn't even eligible for arbitration yet, someone who, even if they're good, like Brian Hayes, a good player who's got a future in the league, who'd have plenty to gain from being part of a process like this, you're sending them into a situation that, you know, is probably and understandably better handled by veterans. However, however, the dynamic still exists, regardless of how it got there, that the players who are in that room and the player with the loudest voice are beholden to the agent that owners themselves recently told the New York Times they feel is puppeteering the event from the other side. And because only those eight votes or eight voices count at this vital stage, the only stage really that matters when it comes to a labor negotiation, that's that's it. That's that's where it's all being decided. I'm going to share with you guys a funny story here. A couple nights ago, after this all fell apart, uh, my wife, Dolly, and I went downtown to our favorite coffee shop and just grabbed a couple of drinks, sat by the window, started talking about this because she saw uh, just before we'd left the house that I was getting, you know, pretty spirited. She can tell when I'm writing something that's got a little extra energy to it. 
So she said, all right, listen, you know I'm not into this stuff, but go right ahead and explain it to me. Just give me the, the, the brief version. So I did. And she remembered the zillions of phone calls that Scott Boris and I used to exchange back in the days when I was on the Pirate's Beat. So she was familiar, at least from my tellings back then, of what his priorities are, what his personality is like, and so forth. So at least that part I didn't have to go over again. Long story short, when we got done, her response to all of this was, man, that guy's smart. And you know what? She's right. She's right. He has this whole scene played out beautifully, masterfully, unlike anything any agent's been able to pull off in any sport, arguably ever. If Tony Clark, the union's chief executive, says, come on, Scott, you know, this is this is ridiculous. We think that this other deal over here would help these other players and whatever else. He's going to say, Tony, how many votes you got? How many votes you got? Because I got five. And there's a total of eight. He controls the whole process. So to answer your question, when does it come down to the rank and file? It's after an agreement's reached and approved by the executive council. Now, anyone who wants to come back at me that, well, the executive council voted unanimously against the owner's last proposal. Yeah, that's because they agree to do that beforehand. They agree that if you're going to be on this executive council, the last thing we would ever present is a fractured front. So if we're going to be 5-3 or we're going to be 6-2, we're actually going to go in public as 8-0. But by the time they approve it, you know, you will not ever see in any labor situation that the rank and file will go, well, hang on a second, and cast their own vote against it because they put these people there to negotiate that deal. And by the way, the same thing applies from the other perspective. The owners who are on the Labor Committee really decide whether or not this is going to be the deal. By the time it goes back to the full ownership for a ratification vote, they already know. They already know the result. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one tomorrow.